Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter four. Nehemiah chapter one, uh, verse four. Nehemiah is in in the Old Testament, but isn't it crazy that we are already into the second week of December? We're already into the month of December. Um, where has 2019 gone? You know, before you know it, it is going to be 2020. 2020, y'all. Now, how many of you remember, you're old enough that you remember Y2K? 2000. And 2020 seemed like so far away. And then I, I remember Y2K was one of those crazy times where everybody's computer was going to crash. Y'all remember that? Cars were just going to stop in the middle of the road, all these things. It's kind of a funny story. Uh, we had a group of people over to our house the, the New Year's Eve of 20, uh, 2000, and uh, they began to do the countdown, 15, 14, you know, that, counting down to the new year. Well, I slipped out of the house and went into the garage, and when I heard them say one, I flipped off the main breaker of the house. <laughs> Seriously, everything just got completely silent. Everybody went, and then one of my buddies who knew it was me said, Richie. So I flipped it back on. So it was worth having to reset my clocks and all that stuff because it was crazy. But 2020, you know, didn't Jesus know he was supposed to come back in 2018? Actually, he was supposed to come back starting in 1988. I think 88 reasons why the Lord's coming back. You know, and when the, the new year hits, now how many of you, when it hits, you're going to make some New Year's resolutions. Show of hands today. You're going you're gonna to make some New Year's resolutions. Okay, how many of you, you're not. Can I get you to show? Okay, most people. How many of you are going to set the bar so low that you can actually do New Year's resolutions? My New Year's resolution, I want to wake up tomorrow. Oh, I did it. Wow, that's awesome. So, how many of you um, recognize that in 2019, you, you started off making some New Year's resolutions, but by the end of January, you had broken most or all of them, right? You know, as we get, we get to the end of the year, it's, 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 for many of you, it's been a great year. You, you are so excited about some things that God's done in your heart and life. This, maybe some new or exciting things happened in your life. Maybe you bought a house. Um, maybe you got a brand new car. Maybe you got married. Maybe you had a baby or you became a papa like me. You know, whatever it was. It's just been a great year. But for others, it, it hasn't been maybe so great of a year. You're kind of ready to say bye 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 to 2019. You're you're kind of done. Yeah, yeah. You're kind of done. You're out. You faced some really hard and difficult things, and you cannot wait for 2020 to start. And as we kind of wind down the year and start thinking about a new year, a new year always kind of feels like a fresh start. Feels like kind of a do-over for everybody. That we all kind of get this this new year, and you probably start thinking about things that you want to do different. Things that you want to improve on, things that you want to get better at, things that, that you want to change in your life. And you, what you're basically trying to do is you're trying to create a better version of you. you. You want to do that. And that's why at the beginning of the year, more people show up to church. As a pastor, I have to tell you, I absolutely love it. Beginning of the year, hey, we're going to church every Sunday. Okay, not this Sunday, but next Sunday we're going, you know. People start showing up to the gym. You know, and, and for those of us that go to the gym on a regular basis, don't worry. I know it's kind of crowded right now, but in a few weeks, it'll all settle back down again, right? And, and it's not a bad thing to want to, to be better. It's not, not a bad thing to want to be better at spending your money or, or watching your health and taking care of yourself. Overall, just really trying to improve yourself. It's not, it's not a bad thing. And, and it's certainly a good thing to want to improve ourselves. But basically what we do in the month of January is we ask this question, what should I do about me? 
Now, again, it's not, not a bad thing, and it's certainly a good thing to want to be better, want to, want to get better. But as we're kind of winding down 2019, we've been focusing in this series, Heart for the House, what I believe is actually a, a better question. Um, and it's a question that, honestly, will kind of sort of jack with some of you. It'll, it'll kind of mess with some of you. Others, it'll kind of force you to look at some of the deeper meanings and the deeper things of life. And to introduce the question, I want to read a verse today, and I want to share a story. It's from the book of Nehemiah about a guy named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was this Jewish person who did this extraordinary thing that was so extraordinary that the Jewish people actually put it in their scripture. Nehemiah was an extraordinary leader who did an extraordinary thing for the nation of Israel. And one of the things that I personally find so extraordinary about this is that there, there weren't any miracles. Now, I know some of you are like, wait, this is church, right? And, and I want you to know that I believe in a God of miracles. I've had God do miracles in my life, and I'm, and I'm so thankful for that. But, but this is a story really about hard work. Now, sometimes as Christians, we don't want to hear that because we're kind of always just waiting for the miracle, right? It's one of the reasons why there were so many people that wanted to follow Jesus after he took the five loaves and the two fishes and, and, and broke it up and fed 5,000 people. They were like, hey, listen, we can get out where we don't have to work anymore. Let's just follow this guy around. It's a story about hard work, and it's a story about sacrifice, and it's a story about discipline. And so I want to look in the book of Nehemiah, and I want to kind of start today by kind of giving you a little bit of the backdrop for what is actually happening in this story. In, in 605 B.C., the, the Babylonians come in, and they actually invade the nation of Israel. And they drag most of, of the Israelites back to Babylon with them. They took these people captive. So for about 70 years, they're held captive by the Babylonian Empire. Well, it's not long after that that the Persian Empire actually comes in and invades the Babylonian Empire and overtakes them. And this is where we find a guy by the name of King Cyrus, who is the king of Persia. And he makes, makes this proclamation because he's looking around and he's seeing all these displaced people that are, that are now in his nation. And there he's kind of trying to, what, what's all going on here? And he makes this proclamation that anybody that had been taken captive is free to go back home. So people that had been conquered by the Babylonian Empire were able to move back home. And so many Jewish people moved back to the nation of Israel. So 70 years have gone by, and now 90 years later, so we're looking at 160 years, if my math is right. The 160 years later, after the people have returned, things are not going well at all in Jerusalem. And this is where we meet Nehemiah. He is working for a king by the name of King Artaxerxes, how would you like to name your kid that? He'll be a super popular kid in school, King Artaxerxes. And he starts journaling about what is going on in the nation of Israel. And so we see in the book of Nehemiah things that are taking place. And we see that Nehemiah in, the, in chapter 1 is asking some of his fellow Jews that have come back to, to where he's at. And, and he starts asking them about how things are going back home. How things are going back in the nation of Israel. And they give a terrible report. They say things are not going well. Things are really difficult. Things are really challenging. And there's, in fact, the, the walls of the city are still torn down. There's, there's no city gates. And so anybody that wants to can literally walk into the city and, and begin to jack with the people of Jerusalem. And as he's hearing this story, this is the verse, the, one of the just a few verses that I want to look at today that I really want you to capture. And here's what it says, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. It says, and when I heard these things, I sat down. And I wept. 
When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept, and for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I want you to know that Nehemiah isn't just indifferent to this. And you need to understand, he had probably actually never been to Jerusalem. He's not over 160 years old, and so chances are pretty good. He's actually never been, but he's not indifferent. He's not, oh, too bad for them. I feel so sorry for them. Boy, that's just, well, oh, too bad for them, but hey, I'm still good. You know, and the Bible teaches us that in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves. And it gets very easy for you and I to get a little disconnected from some things that are going on around us, especially when our life is together, that we get a little disconnected from challenges that people that are standing or sitting right next to us are dealing with. So he's not indifferent to the news. In fact, he's brokenhearted. And the Bible says for several days he fasts and he prays. And then Nehemiah begins to remind God of his covenant. And he reminds God that he is a covenant-keeping God. Which, by the way, is something that you and I should do on an ongoing basis. We should constantly be reminding God of his covenant. That's why, even though there's some sickness trying to jack with my body today, I'm reminding God of his covenant that his word says, by his stripes, I am healed. Not I'm going to be healed, I'm actually already healed. I'm just waiting for the reality of what's going on in my body to line up with the truth of the word of God. We should be reminding, it's a walk of faith. It's not a walk of what we see and what we feel in the moment. So he starts off telling God, look, we have acted wickedly. We, we have sinned in your sight, and I love the fact that Nehemiah is including himself. He's including himself in that, and he's telling God that we deserve the punishment that you gave because we broke the covenant. I want to remind you, it was the old covenant. We broke the covenant that we had with you because, you see, under the old covenant, it was do good, get good, or do bad, get bad. I'm thankful today that we're under the new covenant. That because of what Jesus did good, you and I get good. Because we're under the blood of Jesus Christ. So he reminds God, look, look, here's what you said in your word, that if we return to you, meaning if our hearts that were going in the wrong direction, we, we return them to you, that even if we're exiled, God, you are going to bring us back home. And then Nehemiah asked him to be very attentive to the, the prayer that he's praying today and asked Lee, actually asks him to grant him favor. And he kind of concludes with telling us the last verse in that chapter by saying this, that I was cupbearer to the king. So he's, he's asking God, God, grant me favor. And the reason why he's asking God to grant him favor is because he's about ready to ask the king for a favor. And, and you need to know that Nehemiah has it made. He, and many of you can identify with him because he had a great job and you've got a great job. He, he's, he's working in the palace. He's, he's meeting these amazing people for literally from all over the world. It's the most powerful nation in the world. He's rubbing elbows with these powerful people. But he's going to ask the most powerful king at that time, King Artaxerxes, for an indefinite leave of absence. He, he wants to leave his great job. He's going to leave his family. He's going to really leave everything he's ever actually known and go back to Jerusalem to help the people rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And, and you need to know that it's risky that he's actually asking the king. You typically don't ask kings for favors. Normally the king asks you for a favor. So it's risky. And listen, even if he says yes, it's a huge sacrifice for Nehemiah. 
Everything that he knows, everything he knows about his world is about ready to change. But Nehemiah's heart was broken. And he felt compelled because of his broken heart to act on what he had heard. So here's my question for you today. And honestly, this morning, you may not have an answer to it yet. And I want you to know that's okay. But here's my question. What breaks your heart? Think about it for just a second. What breaks your heart? When you look around your neighborhood and you look around your city, when you look around our country, when you, when you look at the economy, when you look at what's happening in families, when you look at what's happening with children and homelessness, when you look around the world that you and I live in, what breaks your heart? What captures your emotion today? What is that one thing that you can't get off your mind? And again, some of you today, you may not know the answer to it. And again, I want to say it's okay. But what's the one thing that bothers you? In fact, maybe for some of you, it bothers you so much you try not to even think about it. Because what you actually think is this problem is way too big. This thing is way too difficult. It's always been this way. It's always going to be this way. I can't do anything about it. I'm just a nobody. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too poor. I'm too disconnected. I don't have relationships. I'm way too busy. I, and, and I hope that someone will go, that God will send someone to go and fix that. What breaks your heart? When you really begin to discover the answer to that question, I, I promise you it'll start to mess with you. It'll kind of start stirring some things up inside of you that you'll feel like Nehemiah compelled to do something. So as we wind up this year and begin moving towards 2020, how about instead of asking, what should I do to change me? How about asking, what should I do? What should I get involved in that can change some things around me? Because if you really want to be a better person, why not do something that makes the world a better place? Every one of us can do it because here's what I know. The people that you admire the most, the, whether it's the biographies that you've read or people that you've watched their life and you admire them and they, they inspire you, we're not people who lost weight or got out of debt. Now, I want to encourage you today, you should probably get in shape and you should watch your finances, but that's not what inspired you. That's, that's not what, what motivates you. What you admire about them and people that inspire us are people who have made a, the world that they live in a better place. They've, they've at least made someone's world a better place. Because listen, one person isn't going to change the entire world, but every one of us can change someone's world. And listen, every one of us has the potential to change the world in a very positive way. If you don't do this, let, let, me, let me tell you what the next 12 months are going to look like. And, and some of you can go, yeah, that's true because that's what the last 12 months have looked like. You're, you're going to sit around and you're going to watch a lot of TV and you're going to blame people. If the president would just, if Congress would just, right? Or you're going to blame things. Boy, if it wasn't just for this economy, boy, I could really do something. You're going to blame people, you're going to blame things, and, and you're going to wonder why someone doesn't do something. But listen, people who blame things don't change things. Let's say that again. People who blame things don't change things. Blame is never a way forward. It isn't. 
And to change anything, we have to recognize that we have got to make sure that we're taking some responsibility on. Blaming, blaming is how we avoid changing anything. So what if we took all of the energy and all the passion and all the focus of our, of our lives towards actually bringing about change, that something that breaks our heart, something that God begins to stir up inside of us. So what breaks your heart? Think about it for just a moment, if you would. What breaks your heart? I want to let you know a few things that break this house's heart, this church, this leadership team, some things that really break us. What breaks our heart is that there are homeless people in our city that go hungry. There are homeless people in our city that, that can't stay warm at night. That's why we support Faith City Missions. It breaks our heart that there is a, a, a school in this house's neighborhood where kids don't have enough to eat, where they, their Christmas is going to be pretty bleak this year. That's why we support Gene Howe Elementary and why we ask every one of you to take a tag from the blessing tree. It breaks our heart that there are too many young people in Amarillo who are making poor life choices. That's why we financially support Hope Choice help kids learn how to make better choices. It breaks our heart that there are not enough life-giving churches in the United States of America. That's why we support ARC, Association of Related Churches, that has a goal of planning 2,000 churches. That's why we give monthly support to the Oaks Church Network because we need this city, this world, needs more life-giving churches, not less life-giving churches. And it breaks our heart that there are people groups that have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ that they've never heard the gospel. That's why we support missionaries literally around the world. In fact, one of the exciting things that we want to get involved in in 2020 is being a part of starting a new Bible school that can train pastors in Africa to go out into rural communities and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. It breaks our heart that there are people in the inner city of Sao Paulo who have no hope. The poverty is, is devastating. I was just there this summer. You literally walk over homeless people. You walk over people strung out on crack. There's a, a place, a section that was roped off, literally, where there's crack addicts everywhere. That's why we support a, an inner city ministry like Senna that's really spreading the love and hope of Jesus Christ to them. That's what we do as a church. It breaks our heart that three out of every four prisoners in Brazil are probably going to go back to prison because of criminal activity. That's why we support Redirect because they have a, a desire to reduce the recidivism rate from 70% down to just 5% by teaching people a trade so they can learn some skills and understand some things because most criminals don't lack creativity. They really don't. They just lack direction. That's what breaks our heart. So what is it that breaks your heart? Here's what I want to ask you. Would you let your heart be broken with ours? That's why we're asking you and have been asking you over the last several weeks for you to pray about and ask God what he would have you do in our heart for the house offering. I want to say this again. We're not asking you to give. We're not. In fact, if you're going, Pastor Richie, I don't want to give and it just makes me mad, don't give. And I seriously mean it. We, we want you to ask God what he would have you do in our heart for the house offering and just respond to what it is God is saying. Because here's what I believe, that once you realize that this house had a heart for you and that it had a heart for others, it makes, us e it, makes it easy for every one of us to have a heart for this house. Because none of us are as good as all of us. And none of us are as strong as all of us. So what's the plan? 
Here's the plan. We want to continue to build the church. We believe this church is a sending station, that, that we're called to, to reach out beyond our walls. We don't think church is the building. We don't think it's the services. We think it's who we are. And the Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And when we begin to understand that God wants to take the good news of Jesus Christ outside of these four walls, we want to continue to build the church. That's why we want to enlarge our facilities by building hallways so we can have access to more things so that we can grow the church. Now, I know that there are some of you that you're going, you know what, I like the church at a particular size. I remember a guy, he's actually here today, that said, I want the church to be about 300. And I told him one time, okay, when we go over 300, we'll let you pick the people that can't come back next Sunday. Right? Because anything that's healthy grows, and so we want to build the church. And the reason why we want to build the church is not so we can just have a large church and say, hey, check us out, look who we are. We want to build the church so that we can serve our city. We want to be able to serve the city that God's placed us in by, by being the love and hope of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. Because you are the only Bible that some people will read. You're the only Jesus that some people will ever see. And when you and I get so filled with the love and hope of Jesus Christ because we've been encouraged in a service, because we're in a small group and some of our past things are getting dealt with where all those junk things that were in our life are getting taken care of, we've gone through the growth track, we've discovered our place in the body of Jesus Christ, suddenly we become a force that hell has to reckon with. They have to recognize and understand that our goal is to populate heaven and plunder hell. That there are people that are lost far away from God today that we need to allow God to break our heart. Amen. Eventually, the goal is to change the world, right. impact the world. And I know it seems so daunting, seems so overwhelming, like what can we really do? We can do what we can do. Right. And that's all God's expecting us to do. So we've been showing you several videos over the last several weeks, kind of trying to help you understand what it is we're doing and where it is we're going. I'm going to show you the final one today, and I'm going to get back up and close this off today. stepping
David. Wasn't that good? Let me share a couple kind of couple of verses and one final thought today. Here's what Jesus said in um, John chapter 13. He said this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Uh, we need to kind of understand because we're kind of going, now wasn't that in the Old Testament? Jesus is changing the whole parameters of it. He's saying that as I have loved you, so you must love one another. You start looking at it and you begin to understand, for God so loved the world that he gave. And here's the next verse that kind of helps us understand what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what it really means to be a Christian. I, I'm hesitant to use the word Christian because sometimes we, we just have watered that word down to basically mean synonymous with American. But I'm talking about people that are following after Christ, and it says this, by this, by the love that we have one for another, by this, not by the way we dress, not by anything else, by this, by the love that we have for one another, will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's been said that you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And so I want to ask you today, what is going to be your expression of love today?